0: Good morning, the reading this morning is taken from the book of Matthew and there'll be two separate readings from Matthew. The first is from Matthew 5 verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And the second reading is from Matthew 10, verses 7 to 8. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, folks. uh, I'm glad to hear that Don is feeling okay, and I can see the ambulance out there, but I think it's a lot of effort to go to just to avoid the sermon, don't you? I mean... (laughs) And I must say, not to make light of, um, of Joel's introduction to communion, which I found very moving, the whole idea of sitting at the table with Jesus and what you would say to him and what he might say to you, but it actually did remind me of an occasion years ago. I was in Florida, in Orlando, and they have a theme park there called the Holy Land Experience. It's like a Bible theme park. And it is as bad as that sounds. <laughs> And you can go to the Qumran caves and on the hour, every hour, Jesus serves Holy Communion to you. So some poor guy who happens to have long hair and a beard, (laughs) dressed in, uh, you know, first century outfit, comes forward to a table and serves Holy Communion to you. And so me and my mates who were there, we couldn't resist this. So we... (laughs) we went in, there were a lot of very, people were very touched that Jesus was uh, actually Jesus was serving communion to us and so I was trying not to be Australian I was trying to be as like, you know, Bible Belt American as I could, I was trying to like, okay let's just pretend this is Jesus and um, it was all lost at the moment where he said, uh, he walks in and he says, my friends I have longed to share this meal with you please, no flash photography (laughs) I mean, I just, my, I couldn't suspend my disbelief any longer. So, <laughs> so I couldn't help but think about that, John. I'm so sorry, even though that was a beautiful way to introduce uh, uh, the Lord's Supper to us. Well, thank you for ha- having me here, and uh, thank you for uh, taking uh, um, my words and thoughts seriously enough to spend the last four weeks reading. The book and engaging conversation around that—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, uh, it's a, a, a wonderful thing. You write books and um, they get published, and they are like—they're like children. They sort of leave home, and you don't know where they go or what they do, or you know if they have good lives in the world or not. And it's lovely to hear about a, a communities. So this is like not the first church, in fact, that I've been invited to come to, and in fact, often at the final week of the the series, which is nice. Uh, um, Narara Valley, not far from here, Blakehurst, down in Sydney uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so it's, to me, it's just a great honour. Uh, thank you very much for taking those ideas seriously. And let me also say to you, I didn't sit down and think up these ideas. They emerged out of a community of faith that we planted uh, a number of years ago. Uh, and so in many respects, it's really you have a connection to that whole community of faith, even if you don't know who they are, because uh, it was out of the soil of that community that the idea of those habits should emerge and which ended up in, in the book, uh, Surprise the World. Let me tell you a little bit about that, co- that community by way of introduction. Uh, We used to uh, live out the five habits uh, that you've been looking at. Blessing people each week, eating with people, listening to the Holy Spirit, learning more and more about Jesus, and then journaling all the ways we've been sent in the world. I know you've got, even if you're not into it, you know those five things. You're sick of it by now, aren't you? Bless, eat, listen, learn, be sent. We even went further than just that, to live it out in our own lives from like Monday through till Saturday. On our Sunday gathering, we designed our worship meeting around those five things as well. So we would gather on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, 5.30, and we would bless the Lord. Then we would eat a meal together, and communion would be at the centre of that. Then we would listen to the Holy Spirit at a kind of contemplative time. Then we would learn from the Bible, and then we would end our gathering every Sunday night by somebody in our congregation being sent and the way that would work is that you're on a roster so it'd be your your turn this week you would come forward and you would just tell us what a typical week a, a, yeah a typical week in your life looked like you could be a stay at home parent you could be a school teacher you could be a nurse you could be a lawyer you could be a parole officer you could be a union official they're all the ones I can think of right now you could be a, a, an animator you could be a, a professor you just tell us what a typical week in your life was like uh, and you know that would take most people five seven minutes something like that and then we would turn it over to the congregation and we would say to the congregation now would you call out in what ways do you see this person who's just shared mirroring the work of God in this world now if someone says I'm a palliative care nurse and I sit with dying people and I attend to them and I bring uh, care and pain relief into them, it's pretty obvious that that seems to be the work of God in this world don't you think uh, and often if you, I'm a stay-at-home parent, I'm nurturing and raising my children, you think, oh, well, God is a parent, God is our parent. And so that mirrors God's work in the world. The nurse is a healer, God is a healer, that mirrors God's work in the world. Some of them were more easy than others, but the thing that I was super proud of about that community was that there was never, ever a single person's life that the congregation couldn't find ways in what, what they did mirrored God's work in this world. Whether you're a builder or a healer or a care whether you've brought peace or justice or kindness or mercy into this world. Sometimes people would come up and one woman stood up and she said, well, I'm a researcher, I'm doing my PhD, I drive up to the New England region of New South Wales every week and I measure the trunks of (coughs) eucalyptus trees. And then I plot their size against rainfall over the last 200 years. So, So, you know, good luck finding something... (laughs) Something like the, the work of God in the world out of that. <laughs> and somebody stood up and they said, uh, do, do you believe that the, the things that you're trying to research, you think God already knows the answers to those questions? And she said, well, yeah, I guess God knows everything. God knows how much water trees need. God, Yeah, God would know that. And he said, wow. He said, so every day you go out and you chase the thoughts of God. She told us later that completely changed the way she did her work. I'm not just like typing numbers into a computer. I'm chasing the thoughts of God. There wasn't a single person whose work or typical week was described to us that people couldn't see ways in which they mirrored the work of God in this world. Now, after we'd done that for a number of years... We gathered together on a Saturday for our uh, regular uh, church uh, meeting. I don't know what you call it, church conference, business meeting. What do you call it? Family meeting. Family meeting. That's better. That's a good name. and one of, the, one of the items on the agenda was, well, how's our Sunday meeting going? Is it getting a little bit samey? You know how sometimes it sort of gets a bit the same. Should we kind of freshen our Sunday meeting? And so I led this exercise where uh, we had a whiteboard and I said, OK, let's just imagine like a blank slate. Just say we don't have a Sunday meeting. Let's just start from scratch. So you tell me what are the things that we must have. These are the non-negotiables. So when we gather as a community on a Sunday, what must we do? And I'll write them up. We'll start with the musts, and then we'll get on to the, you know, it would be good if, okay? So what must we do? Now, I'm a minister of religion. And I'm a teacher of the Bible. What do you think I thought they were going to say? <laughs> so I was thinking I going to Bible teaching and prayer and the sacraments and, you know, I was imagining all of that. The first person to put their head up said, oh, we should keep doing that sentness thing where people share what they do, and then we send them. And I was like, yeah, no, I know, that's good. But oh, actually, maybe you didn't understand what I was saying. The absolutely essentials. I like was starting with the, like, the must do. So when the people of God gather, what must we do? So anybody else? Yeah, no, I agree with that first person. They said, we should do that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me, me, me too, me too. At that moment, I actually felt quite ashamed of myself, folks. It occurred to me in that moment because I am an ordained minister of religion, I'm clergy, and because I actually do work in a ministry role, I teach at a theological college, I actually take for granted the fact that what I do every day is the work of God. I'm not even thinking, now I'm doing the work of God. It just occurred to me, why else would I do this if I didn't feel that God had called me to do it? And then it occurred to me, The very fact that I don't think about that every day, the very fact that that is just something I take for granted, is really something kind of sad, don't you agree? That here I was, this enormous and beautiful gift, calling, a sense that I do the work of God. And I realised I'm in a congregation full of people who don't feel that way about most of their lives. And here they were in a church where we were actually saying to them every single Sunday, your daily secular duty, the work to which you've been called, your station in life as a parent or a grandparent, as a worker, as a part-time worker, as a retired person, as a student, is actually potentially an expression of God's work in this world. And what they were saying to me was, that is so beautiful a gift to us, We have to do that every time we gather. It occurred to me that those of us who are clergy often hold that enormous gift so lightly because we're not conscious of how terrible it would be to imagine that your everyday, ordinary so-called lives aren't places where God is at work in this world. So I wrote that on the whiteboard. Not only are we going to journal all the ways that we're sent into this world, but when we gather, every time we gather, we will lay hands on at least one in our number and we will commission them to go forth and to do the work of God in this world. One of the lines we used to say in our Sunday gathering was this. Some churches only lay hands and commission cardinals and archbishops and bishops and ministers and missionaries. But in our church, we lay hands on and we commission stay-at-home parents and school teachers and nurses and lawyers and people who measure the trunks of eucalyptus trees. Can you see how incredibly important it is, particularly for us as Baptists, to remind ourselves again and again that the very heart of who we are is that we are sent people in this world. That there's not one of us who is not commissioned. There's not one of us filled with the Holy Spirit of God, set aside under the Lordship of Jesus, who is not sent into the worlds in which we find ourselves to mirror God's work in this world and to alert people to the reign of God. Do you follow what I'm saying? All work, therefore, is potentially holy work, when it's handed over and under the Lordship of God. Somebody said to us once, well, what happens if someone gets up and says, well, I work for a multinational company and we rape and pillage and destroy small villages and completely destroy the environment and I'm doing it all just for lots and lots of money? I said, well, if someone did stand up and talk to us about a whole lot of stuff that's incredibly unholy and there were just crickets from the congregation because... We couldn't think of any way that that mirrored God's work in the world. Wouldn't that be a good thing for that person to hear? My friends, you have been ordained to the work of God in this world. Sure, Joel's expression of that is to serve you, to love you and to lead you and to teach you. Your expression of that might be to be a good neighbour, a good worker, good parent, might be to build, to create, to serve, to heal, whatever it might be. When handed under the lordship of Jesus, it is potentially the work of God in this world. That's what that whole fifth habit of highly missional people is, to see ourselves as sent to mirror the work of God in our worlds. And the more you think about it, you more you realise actually being called to that is not just some good strategy for how we might grow our churches. Actually being called to that is to being called to mirror the very nature and character of Jesus himself, is it not? More than 20 times in John's gospel alone, Jesus refers to himself as having been sent. Admittedly, that gospel uh, has that notion uh, more than any of the others, But at the very core of what John understood Jesus to be about was that he was a missionary, that he was a sent one. Who are you, Lord? I am the one sent from the Father. The very central notion of what it is to understand the very nature and character of Jesus is to recognize that he is a sent one. And then the more that you think about it, the more you realize, actually, that just mirrors the very character and nature of God, the Father, as the sent one. I know it sounds a little bit blasphemous to imagine that God the Father is sent because that kind of might imply there's some other agency that's sending him but there is no other agency that tells God the Father what to do but we use this very kind of um sort of cumbersome phrase where we talk about him being the sent and sending God with little hyphens between each word he's the sent God but he does the sending himself if that makes sense. Does it make sense? And you see it from the very beginning of Scripture. It's not just that God just sends the Son and that's when he starts being a sent and sending God. God the Father as the sent and sending God appears on the first page of the Bible. When God creates order in the cosmos by separating light from darkness and earth from the sea, the sky from the land... When God does this extraordinary work of ordering the chaos of the cosmos in order to create the universe, he does so by sending out his missionary word, and God said, and God said. It's as if the word goes out from God and the word fashions the universe. We are an expression of the sentness of God he sends out his word and humankind is created. More than that, he blows out his ruach breath to inhabit humankind, to indicate our peculiar and unique status in the world as his sons and daughters and stewards of this planet. Even after humankind sins, disobeys his rule not to eat the fruit the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we are condemned. What is the whole history of Scripture telling us? What is the whole history of Israel all about if it is not about Yahweh, God the Father, sending himself out to inhabit, to be present among his people? So, the act of creation is an act of missionary endeavor by God, but the whole history of Israel is as well. He sends His presence within the tabernacle, He sends His presence later into the Holy of Holies of the temple, but He also sends His word through the prophets. He sends His presence constantly out after the people of Israel. He is not some God that sits high above the blue as the ancient pagans believed their gods did, way up in some cosmos, some other world above us, occasionally showing an interest in us, mainly to kind of slap us around or play with us a bit. No, scripture reveals that the God, the one true and only God actually inhabits this earth and pursues his people as the sent and sending God. Of course, it reaches its highest point for those of us who are New Covenant people, does it not? You really want to know what it looks like for the sent and sending God to inhabit this earth, to be present among us? We believe that God the Father sent God the Son. We say, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And what did Jesus look like? A sent one. In fact, we as Trinitarian believers think that that cycle's not complete until we recognise that as God the Father sent God the Son, so God the Father and God the Son also sent God the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you want to understand the Trinity at the very core of the interpersonal relationships between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the one thing you can confidently say from Scripture that would, that would uh, characterize the relationships between the three persons of the Trinity is that they send each other. I mean, you hear lots of pastors say they love each other, they have real community with each other. I don't know, maybe they fight like cats and dogs, do we know? We assume that they love each other since John tells us God is love. But really, when the scripture is explicit about how the three persons of the Trinity interact, it tells us that they send each other. Therefore, my friends, to say that we are Trinitarian believers, to say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, to eat this meal... And to say that in eating this meal, we acknowledge that God the Father sent God the Son, and that God the Son's death and resurrection sets us free from fear and sin and guilt and death and the devil, and unites us, reconciles us with God the Father, and then propels us into the world as mirror images of this one, seeking to become more and more Christ like in this world. The very core of that is to say, then we are sent people. Do you follow? So then I should be able to ask this question. And you should be able to answer it just like that. I should be able to ask you, to whom have you been sent? To whom have you been sent? And you can't just say, "Uh, we're in a... Community Baptist Church, because you are Erinna Community Baptist Church. You don't get sent to yourself. You could say, mm, Erinna, but Erinna is not a person, right? To whom have you been sent? Can you see their faces? Can you tell me their names? Do you know where they live? Have they ever been to your table? Have you sat at the lunchroom at work with them? Who have you blessed? My friends, at the very core of who we are is that we're gifts to the community around us. We are given to mirror God's work in this world. We are sent to mirror the sent one, Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Are you all with me so far? Some years ago, this really came very powerfully to me in an experience of Holy Communion, in fact. I was at a conference, it um, doesn't matter what the conference is about, I was at a conference and it was in a conference centre, um, kind of a functional kind of room uh, and we'd been discussing the whole nature of what it is for the church to see itself as sent and to be engaged in the world in politics and Society, culture, the arts to inhabit and infiltrate every aspect of society in order to alert people to what the reign of God looked like. It was kind of a bit highfalutin to be honest, but I quite enjoyed it. And then they said to us, that Our final session of the conference isn't going to be held here in this room. Uh, we've actually booked a church around the corner for us to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper as our final gathering. And so you just go left, right, left, right. It's around the corner. It's a lovely old building. We're going to like, break from here and reconvene down there at such and such a time we were all like buzzing with all the stuff that we'd just been hearing and I can remember walking like through the streets of this city to get there and we were yabbering about this and that and everyone was chatting and it was lots of lots of hubbub and the other thing too is there's quite a few people at the conference it was like a big trail of people all walking down it was all kind of vibey and energizing and and kind of intriguing and it was kind of like Oh, will always going to this other church to do communion we've done that a million times and then we'll move on conference will be over. And we arrived at the church, it was a grand, old, beautiful church, big, high-pitched ceiling, stained-glass windows, all that kind of stuff. And we walked in, and literally, as soon as you walked in, all the buzz and hubbub of all the chit-chat about things we'd been learning uh, that week stopped because you walked into the building, and you couldn't help but kind of be viscerally affected by it. As grand and as beautiful and as traditional an old building as this was, they had removed every single stick of furniture from the church. There were no pews, there was no pulpit, there was no table, there was nothing. It was just completely bare. And the floor had been covered from corner to corner, wall to wall, by black plastic. In the middle of the church sanctuary was this mountain of garbage. Not like hard rubbish that you throw out like on hard rubbish day on the street corner on the curb, <coughs> household garbage, food scraps, like meat bones, fish bones, milk cartons. Like, can you imagine? I mean, up to about this high. And can you imagine what that smelled like? And you know why there was black plastic everywhere, don't you? because there were little rivers of garbage juice running out from this mountain. I mean, it was just, like, stunning. It literally stunned us all into silence as we entered. There's nowhere to sit, so we just stood around the mountain of garbage. And then it was time for us to to begin the meeting. Two men came out from doors either side of the platform. They were wearing, like, uh, robes, like monks' cassocks, Tied at the waist, they walked out and they welcomed us to this celebration of the Lord's Supper. There was no musicians, there was no nothing, but they pointed out to us that in the four screens in each corner of the room, words would appear. We sung a cappella, we recited scripture, we uh, engaged in, uh, in in a liturgy uh, of words all the time leading us toward the celebration of the Lord's Supper. I was trying to be really focused on this, but you know what I was thinking about, don't you? I was thinking, are they going to explain to us why there's a mountain of garbage right in the middle of this church? And it wasn't explained until right near the end. They came down off the platform and they walked among us toward the mountain of garbage and they said, now it's time for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we do so, we want you to remember that the very core of our faith is our belief that our God, though utter, total and complete, ineffable, unknowable, all-consuming, pristine and perfect. Our God loved us so much. He took on flesh and waded into the stink and the brokenness of this world. And with that, they removed their robes. They were wearing Speedos And they waded into the mountain of garbage. Like literally they're up to their thighs in household rubbish. The whole room gasped at this. And then they said to us, as one reached down into the garbage and pulled out a wine bottle in a brown paper bag the other reached down to the garbage and pulled out a loaf of bread thankfully wrapped in plastic (laughs) they said to us if you choose to celebrate the Lord's Supper this day let it be that you don't only celebrate his atoning sacrifice on the cross that he Took the punishment that you deserved in order that you might be set free you do but more than this and let it be also that you know that you don't only celebrate his resurrection from the dead where he defeats sin and death and the devil and assures you of eternal life with god the father you do but more than this Let it be that when you eat this bread and drink this wine you also celebrate the central miracle of history. The incarnation. C.S. Lewis said the incarnation is the central miracle in all of history. Every miracle before it points to it. And every miracle since proceeds from it. If you eat this bread and drink this wine, let it be that you celebrate this day that our God took on flesh and waded into the brokenness of this filthy world. And if you choose to take this bread and drink this wine, remember that this is the same Jesus who said to his followers, in the same way that the Father sent me, so I send you. So let it be that eating this meal and drinking this wine is your reordination. It's a fresh recommissioning of your status as a sent one as you eat this bread and drink this wine let it be that you are saying to Jesus by so doing send me into the stink and the filth and the brokenness of this world taken communion many times including in this very hour but I remember the bread stuck to the roof of my mouth that day and I had to swallow down hard to drink that wine they told us if you choose to mirror God's work in this world Take off your shoes, roll up your jeans or your pants, hitch up your skirt or your dress, and wade into this garbage to receive Holy Communion. It wasn't garbage juice between my toes that bothered me, my friends. It was whether I could honestly, with all sincerity, Look Jesus in the eye and say, just as your father sent you, among lepers, tax collectors, sinners euphemistically named, among outsiders, among those that lie at the edges, among the blemished, the unacceptable, just as your Father sent you. I eat this bread, and by so doing, I say, Send me. It's what we should do every time we eat this meal, don't you agree? This meal isn't just for us to make (coughs) us feel better about how we're the redeemed ones. It's to reordain you every time you eat it. To propel you outwards to your neighbours, to your work colleagues, to the community groups you've joined, to the sporting teams you play among, the hobbies that you're part of, The streets and the fields, the shopping malls, the beaches. So let me ask you once again the question that every Christian should have an answer on the tip of their tongue to To whom have you been sent? Gustave Gutierrez once went to America speaking to a group of liberals he said I believe that you have a real heart for the poor they all nodded yes we do he said really can you tell me their names see you can have a heart for the lost but can you tell me their names can you see their faces right now You ate this bread and you drank this juice. You bowed your head. You accepted this ordination. I pray that in embracing these habits of missional people, in being committed to eating with people and blessing people, seeking to hear from the Holy Spirit, in learning more and more about Jesus the sent one, that your journals would be full of all the ways you've mirrored his work in this world, sent among those to whom he's sent you, in order that your good works, your generosity, your hospitality, the spirit working in you, the good works that you do in this world. might invite people To give praise to your Father in heaven. Do you follow? What a task. What an honor. What a calling in this world. Let me lead you in prayer. Father, I pray now for the members of Erin Community Baptist Church. I thank you for their resolution and desire to serve you, to bless others, to eat with others, to hear the promptings of your Holy Spirit, to be sent out among those to whom you've sent them, to learn more and more about your Son and our Saviour, the Sent One, Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as they continue to embrace these five habits of missional living that you would propel them outwards into every aspect every every level every community within this central coast area that they might infiltrate like salt and like light that they might point people to you as the only one by which we might have hope and eternal life. Father, for those who are uncertain to whom they've been sent, to those who still aren't sure where you've placed them or who you're sending them to, may they continue earnestly, steadfastly to seek your will to open their lives to the promptings of your Holy Spirit. Speak to them, send them, use them to alert others to your universal reign in this world through Christ. In his name and for his sake, with great joy we pray. Amen.
0: A few years ago, my brother, who is a spoken word artist,